You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I don't have any desire. A lot of times, you know, people are like, man, you know, you preach sometimes. I mean, I know I told you this recently. But you preach sometimes, and, you know, it comes off negative. I'm not trying to be, I'm just telling what the book says. I'm just telling you what the book says. The book's not all flowers. If you like flowers, read Psalms. You know, you can go to the Psalms part and read, and you can read Song of Solomon and read that and, and hold hands and, in the field and sing Dreamweaver, whatever. I mean, if you want that, that, it's there, it's in the book. But a lot of the book is quite negative. And it's just how it is because it's describing men. I, re- I was looking this morning, while I was waking up this morning, this is, you know, interesting how God speaks, but the Lord gave me this verse this morning while I'm waking up. And it was there from uh, uh, 1 Kings. And it was like, how long will you tarry? How long will you waver? How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, worship him, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And it says, the people spoke not a word. That's what it says. The people spoke not a word. They didn't respond to what Elijah said. Lord be God, follow him. And I'm like, why is that verse in, we might end up on a rabbit trail this morning, so I'm telling you. But why is that verse, why is that verse so critical? So I, I just call them, I go on the old Dr. Google, and I, I'm just looking for like a little something. And I find this African guy, poor as dirt, dirt house, dirt thing, and he, he's giving a little message, and that's the thing. How long will you tarry between two opinions? How long will you halt? The one, one translation says, how long will you limp? How long will you stumble between two opinions? Pick one. And you know what? This is what I discovered. Poor, poor as dirt Africa. If you've been there, you know. Dirt house, thatch roof, dirt floor. Um, dirt yard, eating green mangoes. They got the same problems in the fellowship that we have at Plant Grow Harvest as they have at John MacArthur's church, as they have at Adrian Rogers' church, as they have anyone. As long as you have people you're going to have the same problems. The same thing. He's talking about young people not being on fire for the Lord. He's talking about middle-aged people not serving the young and caring for them and drawing them to Christ. He was talking about um, the things of the world. I mean, what's the things of the world of Africa? You know, stabbing a emu or something that runs, whatever they eat. I mean, what, what's the, what are the worries of Africa? Finding some rice for the day? The same things that occupy their minds, the same things that fill their minds that are take up more space in their minds than Christ happen here. It's just different flavors of this. It's just the same, same thing. Happens there, happens here. It's the same thing because we're all people. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, relatively short, and we're going to pick a few verses out of, because we're in 1 Corinthians. But somehow we're going to have to tie how long we halt between two opinions to this because I believe that's the word for the day. How long? It's been reported commonly that there's fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in the body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one into Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorifying is not good. Know ye that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with the old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out into the world. Those people should be out there, not in here. But now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, a covetous, or an idolater, a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. With such a one, no, not to even eat. For what have I to do with to judge them also that are without? Do ye not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Any, how, how many of y'all had chickens at one point or another? Where's all my chicken people? All my pro-chicken people? The worst axe murderer of the poor pitiful chicken is the raccoon. That's a sneaky devil. They are really hard. If you know, if you've had chickens, you know it's almost impossible them guys are like bank robbers, man. They can get in any 76 different way. They can tunnel under. They can bite through the wire. They, and they go in at night, and the little hens are sitting on their thing, also, and they go in there, and they, they bite. The weasels do this, too. They can go through a hole like this big, and they just bite the head of the chicken and kill it and eat the head. And they leave. And all they do is they go in the hen house, and they cause havoc, and they leave. And if you don't do something, they will be back. And they will do it again tomorrow night. And I got to tell you this story because it was, I didn't have a single gun loaded in my house except a 4570, which is a big rifle, okay? And I'd been deer hunting before, lever action. It's a good gun. Trust me. You need one if you don't have one. They are great for killing stuff. So about whatever time, Renetta hears this screaming in the chicken house. And we'd already lost one or something. So in my Skiveronis, Renetta's, I said, well, hold the flashlight in the door, and I'll throw the corn to this guy, you know. Well, she opens the door. I'm in my skivvies, again, <laughs> just to get the picture with the rifle, me and the chickens doing battle, four coons in there. She sticks the flashlight in there, and I stick my head in, and I, it's right there. I'm like, ah, cha, 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 cha. I just start throwing the wood to him, right? So I killed three, and then the fourth one runs out and shoots this one right here before my feet. It was awesome. But they did the damage done with a 4570 from a chicken house. The holes are in that chicken house in the back. That's what that's from. We threw it down out there. I said, Renetta, hold the light in there. She's like, I'm not sticking my hand in there. I'm like, come on. I grab her hand. And when I stuck it in there, I mean, it was right there. I was like, man. The point is, I tell you all that because it was a wild night. And I don't know why all that stuff, it does, it always happens at night. You ever notice that? Like the craziest jazz always goes down at night. It's, there's something spiritual about that. But. So, the, so this, what's the solution to the coon problem with the hens? You know, you build a stronger chicken house, and then you pack the rocks, right? We've all done this, right? You, if you've had chickens, you know. You start packing rocks under the edge of the chicken house. Then you pack them all around the fence, right? Then you put the fence over the thing. Then you close them in, and they still get in there. I don't, they're amazing. The little posable thumb thing going on there. But the, the Lord, I think, ordains these natural things to teach us spiritual things. But the, the, the tragedy of the coon assaults is they're, they're unrelenting, especially in the winter. 
In the winter, they're coming after the, the cheap and easy meal. In the summer, they go after the seed. They go after the corn, right? As soon as your sweet corn is ready, they attack man. And they do the same thing. And it's just such a great picture of the evil one in the body of Christ. It's the, the way, the door, I mean, think about this door right here. It's easy to open. Anyone can come in. Anyone can come in. Anyone with any opinion, anyone with any sin, anyone with any whatever, malice or whatever. And all his hens are sitting here at peace, right at rest, asleep largely, especially, I don't know, I've seen you sleep. It's all right. And we're just completely unaware of this attack that's coming because we're chicken. I mean, because we're chickens. We're just lazy hens, and we're sleeping. It's sleepy time, you know. And um, and we're going to get back to this coon. But I, I just want you to see the same thing. The same thing happens in all churches. You got to be real careful to defend against the coon. In general, if you see the scripture here, it talks about the leaven, right? It says, "Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump." As ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover sacrifice, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Leaven's a, cold wor a code word. Almost every time, there's one place that I could take you to that I would say it's not sin in the Bible. But almost always, leaven, when it's used in a scripture, it's denoting sin. It's denoting that one little piece of sinfulness that exists in your, in your person that that takes you down, most of you ladies, maybe men know, but most of you ladies would know that you add the leaven to, to the bread to make it rise, right? So there's a lot of word pictures with the leaven, you know. I mean, the, the big fluffy loaf of bread is good, and the little thin unleavened loaf ain't worth eating, right? The big fluffy loaf is bad for you because it's got leaven in it, and the little cracker one's okay for you, you know. Um, leavening bread makes for fat people. Unleavened bread makes for healthy people. The ingesting of leaven would be the picture of taking in sin, right? And at the time of Passover, the ladies would take a couple days beforehand, I think a week, I think seven days, and sweep the house of leaven like you're going to be, like if you're in the kitchen and you're making bread like you're just throwing leaven around. But, but they would inspect the whole house, right, to make sure there's no leaven in the house, no sin in the household. And, um, but for us, you know, the leavened bread is much more tasteful, much more attractive to us, just like sin. And the unleavened bread is less attractive, less tasteful. Anyway, it just takes a little tiny bit of this leaven. I was going to have Renetta make us two loaves of bread, one with leaven and one without, but she's got this bread machine. And I'm telling you, the thing that they put the, the yeast in to make it rise, it's, it's like, what is it, a quarter teaspoon or something? It's tiny. It's just dinky. To make this big loaf of bread is nothing. A little tiny bit of leaven ruins, or well, it makes the whole loaf. But in this picture, it, it affects the whole loaf. A little tiny bit of coon in here kills a lot of chickens. It does a lot of damage. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This book of Corinthians is so strategic, it's, it never, it addresses the same problems today that the church had then that the church has in Africa, that the church has in South America, that it has everywhere. Countless churches in trying to make the gospel more palatable, more sensitive, more, what they call it, seeker sensitive, more like that, have gotten in trouble because what they've done is they've allowed the coon in the hen house. They've allowed the leaven in the bread, in the body. They've allowed the sin in. In trying to make it appealing to people, 
They've overlooked fatal flaws in people and allowed it into the fellowship and tried to overlook those things. And um, it, it causes a problem. It causes the same problem that Eve had where she didn't understand because maybe Adam hadn't told her enough or, you know, what, for whatever reason, that, it, that Satan got her to ask that question, did God really say? I mean, we see these things in the word here, and they're very hard words. That's what I'm trying to tell you, that it's a, it's a hard word in the fornicators, not in the church. Covetous, not in the church. Extortioners, not in the church. Idolaters, yet they are. The covetous, or the railer, or the drunkard. Why are these in, I mean, Paul's talking to the church. Why are these in the church? If you look at chapter 6, you can see the same thing again. Uh, let's see here. Uh, know ye not, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves as sodomites with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Yet somehow... These flaws are within the church because church people are natural people before they're saved people. And there's a little of that leaven in there still. It's just still in there. So, so if I look at this list, and I see this one list right here in particular. Welcome, welcome. If I see this one list in particular right here where it says, um, Be not deceived, fornicators, adulterers, adulterers, effeminate, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, so on. And I see that list, so then do I look at that and say, is God not accepting of these people? Does God hate? Does God hate sin? Yes. Does, so does God hate adulterers? Yes. Does he hate homosexuals? If I look at this list, does God hate fornicators? Does he hate sodomites? Does he hate thieves? You know, it's, it's really hard for us to take that, that thing of what does God hate and what do we allow in the church? We're in a different, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're in a different time. Doesn't God, you know, does God allow a place, let me change it this way, does God allow a place for the homosexual to come into the fellowship? Does God allow a place for the, the woman to be the lead pastor of a fellowship? Does God allow a place um, for a transgender person to come to your fellowship? <laughs> Well, the Bible says God is love. We read it this morning, right? But you've got to read it in context. It said God is love, but it said God is love, but who is he love to? To those who love him. I read this. It's in First John. It's in uh, uh, John, sorry, chapter 3. In John 3, 36, it says, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Does God love sinners? Yes and no. Yes, God makes a place for all sinners to come to him. Are you allowed to continue in your sin and call yourself loved by God? I don't know. It doesn't look like there's a place for that. That's a hard word. Are you allowed to continue in your sin, willfully live as an adulterer, a fornicator, a liar, a thief, a reviler, you know what a reviler is? I, I had to look up what a reviler is. A reviler is a person that talks about other people in a negative way, talks down to them, demeans them, 
uh, uh, mocks them, blasphemes them. That's a reviler. And uh, is there a place for that in the body of Christ? Can that person, it says there's no room for a reviler in the kingdom of God. There's no inheritance for the reviler. Is the reviler, is the backbiter any better than the homosexual? Does God make a place for sinful man to be saved from those sins that entangle him? Yes. Does God make a place, is there a place in the fellowship for a person that's ate up with sexual immorality not knowing Christ? Yes. Knowing Christ? No. That's a hard word. That's an uncommon word for this day. There's no place for that. If God is not a man, and he doesn't think like men think. And, and one reason, and this really came clear to me when I read and reread and reread that about the wheat and the tares, and it says that God will use the angels to sort out the people from the wheat and the tares, because we're all in one fellowship, we've got our flaws. And men are very compassionate to other men. We're like, well, yeah, I mean, yes, he's got this terrible sin on himself. I mean, he's just, he's just a fallen man. I mean, like me. I mean, And God has to separate that using the angels and not men because we would show mercy. And there is a time for mercy. The time for mercy is now, before death. But after death, there's no more mercy. There's only judgment. For now, there's mercy. After death, judgment. And the angels do the sorting. Is there a place for that? God's not a man. He doesn't think like a man thinks. If this were so, he wouldn't be God. God works and dwells and rules outside the realm of man, yet over and within the realm of men. That's why we're, we're going to be, we need to abide in his commandments and not by our own thinking. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Children, young people, fathers, you let your kids watch Disney, whatever. But I'm telling you, every Disney show has follow your heart. Every single one, follow your heart. Follow your dream, follow your heart, do your thing, whatever. Every one. You can't follow your heart because your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What does the Lord say to do? Follow him. How long are you going to flop around between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, worship him. If Baal be God, then follow him. If that's what you want, but don't follow Baal and think that you got an open door into the kingdom of heaven. It's, it doesn't work that way. You may not like that. That might hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. But does God make a place for sinful man to be saved from those sins that entangle him? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. By God's grace, this is, this is the statement. This should be your testimony. Jesus died for me. That's the testimony. Hey, Jed, what happened? Jesus died for me. Thank God. I was lost. Now I'm not lost because he died i was blind but now i see i was hopelessly entangled in whatever sin you can quiz jed later you can quiz charlie alva later you can quiz isaac later you can quiz whoever but you know in your own heart that there's something in this list here that was you and it says that you shall have no part of the kingdom no inheritance of the kingdom of god with this in you and so this has to be eliminated how can it be eliminated can only be eliminated through Christ and his merciful work on the cross towards us. But the issue here that I want you to see, and I don't really necessarily see this in our church, I haven't. By God's grace, we haven't had to wrestle this. But these people had allowed 
worldly things to creep into their fellowship and in the and in the process trying to make it more appealing to more people um, in the process of doing that they allowed this wickedness of the world to be the guideline of their church they had turned their eyes from God in a sense in obeying his commands and trying to be more open and they had allowed this guy this guy was a bad dude he was sleeping with his father's wife so it's some sort of incest there and um, and fornication and it was known about in the fellowship it's one thing for I mean we have our secret sins so called right we all have our thing that we hate about ourselves that we wish we could get rid of and we pray we ask God to remove from us over and over and over and over and over and over I'm not talking about that I'm talking about that where the sin is open and it's in your face and I'm making you accept it that's what I'm talking about this was open immorality in the fellowship this guy's doing it in the fellowship and these people are observing it within the fellowship and they're saying it's okay it'll be all right it's just be fine he's just you know he's working through some things and there's no church discipline and there's no separating themselves from this man in fact in fact Paul tells them it's one thing for this to happen outside you don't I mean I wrote to you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators I mean don't be hanging around with them but he's like yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world not with the ones outside they need the gospel just don't bring it inside but now I've written into you unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother if he be a fornicator covetous adulterous so on um, let's see yeah so anyway rather than addressing the problem they they tried to you know we we do that we try to overlook it we hope they grow out of it we hope they grow away from it we hope they move away maybe they'll get another offer at another church that's more trendy and more fun than the church they're going to now maybe they'll go over there and it, it really causes us you know i'll tell you the world really rejects the bible because it does address these things but particularly the Old Testament, I wanted to tell you about Leviticus 20, maybe you know. The chapter Leviticus 20 is one of those ones you're like, holy cow. It's like if a man does this, take him outside and stone him. If he does that, take him outside and stone him. If his kid does this, stone them, stone the wife, stone the animal. There's all kind of stoning going on. Leviticus 20, 13, if a man lies with another man is with a woman, he's to be put to death. And there's quite a list there about all the other people that need put to death as well. And the purpose is, the purpose of that list back then was to keep the people of God pure. They're coming out of a land where all that, those things were more common. They're going into a land where that was very common, all these idolatrous people and idol-worshipping people. And the ugly truth is that the people of God were not obedient in identifying and disciplining those things that were going on in their midst, and eventually they fell into those things. God said, don't ever allow it in your body. If you see these things... Don't ever, don't allow it to expand. Um, and so eventually the whole nation was disciplined because they did allow it to expand. So why isn't stoning homosexuals what the church is to do today? Does anybody know? Why aren't we supposed to stone homosexuals today? Is it, is it any part of the Christian agenda today? 513, 1 Corinthians 513. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Here's the deal. Wicked people are going to do what wicked people do. What wicked people do outside the fellowship is, is really on them. I've been studying on this too, is what God calls us to do as Christian men, to defend against the oppressed, to defend against the afflicted, 
to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. The man of God is called to be a bold warrior for him in the fellowship and without. However, you're not the judge of the people that are outside the fellowship. We judge one another within the fellowship, holding one another to this higher standard of this exhortation of encouraging one another into sanctification and growing spiritually. But outside the fellowship, we have no, those people are lost people. You want to do something for the world, you see the world, you see our country in a negative sense right now, well then go out and tell the people the gospel. And tell them that without Christ, they're going to burn in the fiery pit. That sounds really mean and aggressive. Yeah, fire is mean and aggressive and it's painful. Tell them now. But you can't allow that person to come in and influence the direction of the fellowship. That's the problem. I don't really see it as a problem in our fellowship. I'm just telling you, this is what comes next in 1 Corinthians. So we need, to, we need to dig through it. But we've not been called today to stone homosexuals. We've not been called today to stone transgender people or sodomites or any other thing. We're all going to be, the way the Bible is designed with Christ coming... He says in Hebrews, is appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. Each person will be judged individually by God. Individually. It's not on us to judge them. But it is on us to keep a pure house. It is on us to keep a nice temple, to keep a clean body. Our freedom from sin and judgment came directly from the saving grace of Christ and not from a religious leader or the fellowship as a whole. That was the thing in the Old Testament was the cleanliness of the body, the cleanliness of the nation of Israel, came from the leadership, came from following the commandments very, very, very closely and doing each one. Remember, because of the sin of Achan, the whole company of people lost in battle. One guy steals some gold and a couple of garments, and the whole nation is disciplined. And ever how many people died because of one person? We're not in that day. I'm not saying that God's people can't be disciplined for the sins of multiple people in the fellowship, but in general, we're judged individually. God disciplines his children as a father like a son in whom he loves. He chastens us. So you get off track and you wonder why stuff's not getting on track. Maybe you need to check that first. Do I have sin in my life? Is God chastening me individually? Is that, why my, is that why my life's not working? What is this personal sin that I got going on that God's trying to, to work out of me? Because that's what's going on. I really believe that. I, what, what Loretta and Thomas are walking through right now, the only thing I can do is I look at God's word and I see this refining process there in Corinthians where it says wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. And this annealing process of heating and beating and stretching and heating and beating and stretching and purifying and skimming off the dross and heating and beating and stretching. And God doing that, why does he do that in the life of the believer? He does it so that you're worth something when you get to heaven. It's a pro this is the process part now. This is the, the sanctification is the, is the annealing process. Annealing is where you, take, you can take steel, you can take any metal. And as you heat it, depending on how you cool it, you can either dip it in oil to cool it so you get a slower cool. You can dip it in ashes so that it, so it's like a really, really slow. Or you can dip it in water and kind of flash harden it. Like if you do that with steel and you dip it in water, it'll get super hard, but it'll get brittle. If you do that too much, you can make it really brittle. 
So if you do these other ways of annealing it, it can be more formable or you can add spring to it or you can add flexibility to it or, or malleability to it, depending on how you anneal it. Well, the way God is annealing us is through the processes of the testing that he puts on us every day. Not for us to judge someone else in, but for us to grow spiritually in. And we see that, we saw that early in Corinthians there. Was it in 1 Corinthians? I got kind of confused now because I've been reading First and Second Corinthians together, so I'm not, I can't remember. Let me look in the first. Yeah, 2 Corinthians, where it talks about the testing that they encountered in 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. The testing 1 through about 5. The testing that they encountered, the reason they were tested so that when they made it through the test, they would be able to encourage others in the same uh, situation. The reason you've had a close person pass away by you is so that when that happens to someone else and you've already walked through the fire, you'll have the ability, you'll have the judgment, you'll have the knowledge to take someone else through the exact same issues and lead them, constantly leading them back to Christ through that. So, so we don't stone homosexuals today because we've not been called to. It's not us to judge them. It's up for God to judge them. But it is us to, up to us to minister to them and to give them the gospel. Hmm. So why is he so careful about allowing these people into the fellowship? Can they come to the fellowship? And I've, I've told you this before. We've had this question. You know, what if a homosexual comes, comes to our fellowship and they wants to be a part of our fellowship? Well, we, we, they're allowed to come. They're allowed to hear the word. They're not allowed to lead. They're not allowed to prophesy. They're not allowed to speak before the body. They're not allowed to lead others in Bible studies, no matter what their personal thinking is. And in fact, if we do anything with them, we should immediately begin to talk to them and show them the error in their, in their lifestyle, show them what sin is. And if they reject that, well, then ultimately there's a church discipline thing involved. And it would be very difficult, very painful. There's no doubt that it would be very painful and very difficult for the body. But it's not on us to judge them. There is a purpose of serving of ministry to them that's different than a, a judgment. To see active sinful behavior embraced by the body of a, as the whole will lead to the least of these falling into the same trap. There's something going on. We saw a fellow last night. We didn't, you know, One of those guys, he's tall as I was, big muscular guy, had a real nice paint job on real nice long eyelashes fancy nails fuzzy boots you know he didn't know what he was and the thing is we felt sorrow for the guy because to talk he had a chip on his shoulder when we we're talking to him he's like you're judging me well you don't know what i'm thinking i am but you don't know what i'm thinking you know i didn't say anything to him I mean, you're, you're looking at this person going, my goodness, what happened to this guy? But at the same time, some aspect of that guy's spirit was created in the image of God. And the guy needs salvation. And the guy needs love. He's missing something. And we don't know what he's missing. And we need to be able to talk to that person. It wasn't the time or the place to talk to that person. But we need to be able to talk to that person. And if the person rejects it, well, then it's on them. But when that person comes into the fellowship and seeks to introduce that into the fellowship and encourage your children into going the same way, then we have a problem. 
we are to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's what we're commanded to do. We're to teach them moral values. We're to teach them the Ten Commandments, with or without the Tootsie Roll. However you can make them learn them, we're supposed to learn them. I made the kids learn the six things the, the Lord hates, yea, seven. I made them memorize Romans chapter 8. They memorized it. They memorized the Beatitudes. And I'd say they could say part of them if you got them started. I mean, they had to do that in, as children. They memorized some of the Psalms. That's what you're to do because those are the moral principles that are going to maintain them throughout their life. And it will help them discern between what is good and what is wicked. And woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's where our culture is right now. And, and our culture as a whole has made us take that and take these negative things and, and, and eat them every day. And in that, it's tough. So we have to be very careful that we don't allow that in the hen house. This is a gentle place. This is a place for nurturing and building and growing. So to change directions there, just a little bit, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10, I'm not really changing direction, but I am, is that part where it talks about these covetous and ex extortioners and revilers and all those things. But verse 11 is this, is this really key verse there. It's actually in chapter 6, verse 11, I'm sorry. It says, again, it's that same list, okay? And such were some of you. And such were some of you. This is the key to the whole thing. It says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, uh, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall enter, inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed, and you were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. We look at this list right here, and we're like, well, I'm not those things. I'm not a fornicator. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. And as we remember, as Jesus went through the list of the Ten Commandments, he said, if you ever looked at a woman with lust in your eyes, the same as committing adultery in your heart, you ever thought of this angry, murderous thought towards another person, the same as committing murder in your heart, yes, you're a murderer. You're an adulterer. You're a blasphemer. You've taken the Lord's name in vain. You've made vows in his name. You've lied. You've been disobedient to your parents. You've mocked them and made fun of them. And you've, you've disobeyed them as a child. You've done, all, you've done the whole list. You did it all. You've, you've seen things that other people have and you've desired it. You've seen other people's wives and husbands. You've desired them. You've desired their relationships. You've done it all. You've done the whole list. But such were some of you. Such were all of you. Myself included. You can't, you can't go through the list and just pick out the things that you're not. You have to know that you made the list. Congratulations, you're on the list. Maybe not physically. Maybe you never physically adulterated or fornicated or whatever. But at some point, you were the coon. You were the weasel. You were the one that came in and, and harmed either the, your own body or the body of Christ in some way by your actions, by your thoughts, because you took something from out there and you brought it in here. The coon and the weasel, they always bite the head. They always bite the essence of the soul, the part that, that gives life. That's the part that they, they bite. You know, the old fox, he just runs up, grabs the whole bird, and takes off. But the coon and the weasel, they just, they just they kill the head. They injure the body that way. But it says, but you are washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You're different. Why would you take the old man and bring him into the new man's zone? Because of the goodness of God, at some point you are pursued unto salvation, 
And by his mercy, he washed us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And because of this, we have no right, we have no legal right as a believer in Jesus Christ to live in the old way, in any way, in our body, in our members. Let no leaven be found among your members. None. And I'm a leavened loaf. You can tell by my fluffy build. I got leaven in me. I'm a sinful man. I was talking to Pastor Renee. A good conversation this morning. And he was talking about, I mean, here's a man who's been a pastor for 40 years, right? And all these things. And I told him I was going to talk about it, so he said it was okay. He said he, said he was glad he wasn't here to hear it. But. So me and, me and Strong went, with, went up there and visited him here uh, a while back. And while we were up there, his son was there, and he's got a lot of conflict with his son. And uh, he said, man, I don't even think he's saved. Well, that day I had been in his son's room and I saw his Bible and his Bible study stuff. And, you know, I read his Bible, saw what he'd underlined, saw what he wrote. And I said, man, I'm going to tell you something. Go read his Bible. An unsaved man wouldn't write what that guy wrote in his Bible. And then we were, we were driving along later and, and Renee was just blasting us about what a bunch of sinners we are. And, uh, and Strong goes, man, Renee, I'm glad you're not God. And, he, and Renee said, man, I had to think about it. When you two guys, he goes, you two big gringos came over here and beat up a Mexican. But uh, he said, I had to think about what you guys said. He said, because you were right. My son, who wrote those things in that Bible, he's a saved man. But I was a reviler. I reviled my own son and said that he wasn't this or that. I mean, he was a coon in the hen house, right? He was causing damage to the, to the little chicks in there. And he said, you're right, Strong. You know, I'm not God. I'm really a judgmental person. And he said, man, it just took me back to Romans. And I thought, there is no good thing about me. That's what it says about the man. In this flesh, no good thing dwells. Not a single good thing. But if it comes down to it, and you're pushed into a corner, the worst thing that you are will come out. Because there's no good thing in you. The only thing good is what God places in you at the moment of salvation when, he, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. Such were some of you. James 3.10, it says, um, from the same mouth come forth blessing and cursing. And this should not be so. How is it possible that God's people could be revilers, let alone fornicators or adulterers or covetous or drunkards or whatever? How is it possible? That's the old man. The problem with a coon, one of this guy we dad knew years ago, he had a pet coon. And they're real cute when they're little. They are a really cute little animal. They can do all that stuff with their hands. That was a mean little animal, man. The problem with a coon is he's always a coon. You can try to raise him as a pet, same thing with a fox. But you, you have a pet fox, a lot of people have them. You can have them. But you let him get near your chickens, and them chickens are toast. I don't care how sweet and pretty his flesh, his his natural foxness, his natural coonness is to kill chickens. It's what they do. Your natural fleshness, unchecked, left unchecked by you, your own conscience, or the Holy Spirit, is the most wicked, reviling, ugly, desperate, wicked, well, whatever word. It's bad. It's what we are. How long are you going to falter between two opinions? If the Lord be God... Follow him. If Baal be God, follow him. Take your pick. And it says the people opened not their mouths. The people spoke not a word, depending on translation there. They spoke not a word. You know why? Because they knew he was right. 
I mean, we like the things of Baal. We like the things of the world. How can I hold on to all this stuff over here? How can I hold on to the leavened bread but have the dietary results of the unleavened bread? How can I do that? Tell me how to do that. How can I eat pizza all day but it affect my body like I eat broccoli all day? I mean, that's what we want, right? It's just not how it works. You've got to kill the coon. You've got to kill the weasel, that part of you. You can't, you can't allow any amount of that leaven to have a part of the fellowship. And you, you're the fellowship. You. Me. It can't have any part in the fellowship. Don't allow any amount. The temple, we are. It should be clean. It should be open. It should be ready for operation by the, by the Spirit of God within us. That's what I have. I don't know if that was the word for today, but that's the word that you got. And I pray that it was helpful to you, and I pray that you heard it, and that you can apply it. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. Go home and give your chickens a hug, but really measure yourself and see what you are and see if you're any part of this. And if you are, the Bible says that we must repent and we turn from those things. It's really hard for us to hear that we're deceitful and that no good dwells within us. It's hard for us to hear that because we just we think we're doing pretty good. But something's wrong because all of creation groans. It all, I mean, it's very visible, very uh, easy to see right now as our whole culture is just going in this negative way, blaspheming, saying terrible things against God. Everything. Something's not right. Where does God's people fit in that dynamic? What part do we play in that? What part have we, have we not done that we should have been doing? Were we so busy trying to, um, you know, stone the homosexuals that we haven't made we, we've filled ourselves with leaven and haven't you know grown spiritually like we should have where are you at on that i got something i want to tell you but i want to wait let's pray together i want to ask you in this time if there's leaven in your life if you want to come up here well we can give it a minute we can come up here and pray if there's leaven in your life and you want to deal with that come on we'll give it a moment let's think about that i'll offer you the time Let's rid ourselves of the leaven and be filled with that new unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Like we read in 1 John about love one another. This new commandment I give unto you, love one another. Let's pray for a moment. you got time. You can come. You can come up here and pray if you like. Pray where you're at. And we'll close. Father, as we read this word this morning, I'm convicted in my own spirit that I've been all of these and, uh, and I'm as guilty as anyone, Lord. And I ask for your mercy in that right now. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I confess that I've been a part of any amount of these things, Lord, if not physically in my spirit. Lord, I pray for these that are here today. Lord, I pray for the pride that's here today that wouldn't humble itself, that thought maybe that between the, the Pharisee and the publican that, that they're not like the Pharisee. They're very humble before you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us the things that are in us that are driving us away from you. The, we, we wonder why our prayers aren't answered, Lord, but we, we have this hardness of heart and this spiritual deadness because we're trying to do it and put on a good show and, and act really good. Lord, 
have mercy on us. Lord, may I not be the coon in the, in the chicken house, Lord. Lord, I pray for these that are here, Lord. Each man to stand before you accountable for his own existence. And I ask for your mercy on us. I thank you for your long suffering. You've lasted this long. You've waited on us this long to repent and to come to you, Lord. And I pray for those that are here that have yet to repent. Father, I'm grateful for these that have come. Lord, I pray that the word that was spoken is the word you had for us today. And that they'll go and receive it and go away glad and apply it to their lives. Apply it to their children's lives, Lord. I pray for our children here, Lord. As I know that the school and the culture around is telling them that this, this new way is is the way it is, that there is no truth, but there is, Lord. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through thee. Without you, Lord, we have no hope. Lord, we, we uh, dedicate ourselves to your hopefulness today. I thank you for your goodness, Lord, your care for us, for this place, Lord, for the heat. Lord, thank you for the, <laughs> the water working in the bathrooms. Thank you for your care for us. Father, as we go now, we're going to eat this bread together, Lord. I, I'm grateful for that, the hands that prepared it. Thank you for that, and thank you for the work that's done here week by week, Lord. Thank you for those that are working on the building. Thank you for the, the giving that's done that allows us to, to exist and to be. Thank you for the missions that's operated out of in this fellowship, Lord. Thank you for these that are here. We ask all these things in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen.